Welcome to Above the Mess, the podcast where we bounce between our interests, dive down rabbit holes, navigate our brains, and come up in Wonderland. I'm Maddie Van Houten, and with me is Izzy Miller. Hey, Izzy, how are you? Hello, I'm well. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. It's uh, a little bit warm here. It was melty earlier today. Yep, here too. It's nice in the mornings, but we have definitely reached the Texas part of the year. What did I call South Carolina the other day? It was... uh, Godforsaken swamp. That sounds right. Yeah, because it was 90% humidity. Oh, yeah, that's great. brutal. Right? Gosh, yeah. that's like... It's It's got to be illegal somewhere. Um, I can't complain too bad, though, because, I mean, uh, over in Australia, they get, like, 99% humidity, and I feel like that legally makes you a fish. I mean, you have air conditioning, like, right? Well, I do, yeah. Okay, so you can at I least retreat inside. God, my worst humidity yes. experience was camping in Louisiana, which was a mistake. Don't camp in a tent in Louisiana. Or I mean, Ugh. do, but I did have you sleep on a towel because it was that humid. Gross. Ew. Condensation and ugh. Just feeling like you're living in like soup is not fun. This is why I call it a swamp. Um, so yeah, we're reaching the fun part of the year where uh, you need to be constantly having popsicles. Which is good, because we do have popsicles. We have oat milk, orange, creamsicle popsicles in the freezer, which I'm very excited for. Yum. We also have popsicles, but I don't don't remember the brand off the top of my head. Anyway, they're fruit popsicles, like outshine bars. They're like the little little ones. Oh. They're delicious. Fruit-flavored little ice popsicles? I'm so on board. I know. They're the best. Anyway. Okay. So Maddie, other than melty. I have to admit something. <laughs> yes. It's like a two-thirds of the way through May, and I haven't touched my bullet journal or any of my systems since, like, late April. Oh, no. Um, one, are you okay? <laughs> so, one, yes, I'm okay. And it, it's like its own whole mixed thing. Like, partly it's just, like, not having the mental space to go in and update it and get everything onto the same page. And partly Mm -hmm. it's just that like, I'm in a spot right now where I'm doing a whole lot more reacting to things and doing them immediately than I am planning ahead for better and for worse. Yep. Okay. I understand this. I get like this. Yeah. So you just haven't opened it. Yeah. Is it something you're trying to get back to right now? Or are you just like, just recognizing it? Eventually, when I have the space, like, I'm recognizing it. I'm making the active decision that everything that's written in there will still be written in there when I get back to it. Yeah, because that makes sense. And obviously, if it's not hitting you, like, if you're not reacting to it, it's not urgent right now. So that makes sense. So, yeah, I wonder what I wonder what sent you down this path. I wonder why end of April hit and you were just like, no more. <laughs> it was less that, and it was more like on May 5th, I was like, oh... I never did my monthly migration. Oh. Yeah. And then I just still haven't. Now this begs the question, would you be less reactive if you just got past the activation energy of doing your monthly migration? (laughs) That is a great question. Probably. Maybe think about that one. But I understand as well. Um, I don't often avoid my lists, but when I do, it usually means that I'm reacting same way you were talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that I do first usually is I stop talking to my friends. Like I, like I isolate myself, which is a really weird thing. Like I'll just slowly pull back. Not because I don't want to talk to them, but because I feel like I'm too busy to talk to them, which is never true. By gotcha. The way. Yeah, no, that's not quite where I'm at, fortunately. 
And like, That's good. Because um, outside of work, and work, of course, I'm still like maintaining all of the lists that one would hope a responsible employee would maintain, keeping track of all of the things they said they would do and will do. So like, that's its own separate thing. But in my personal life, I am sort of like saying, they're like, okay, things are going to pile up for a bit. There is a whole lot going on, but almost all of it is things where somebody will reach out and say, hey, Izzy, I need this. And it's something I'm going to do within the next 30 minutes or an hour. And at that point, like writing it down only gets you so much value. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I suppose it might do is like give you a record of what you did. Absolutely. And that's something that like I'm aware I'm not getting and something that I would certainly prefer to get, which is why I almost certainly will go back to bullet journaling once I have the mental space and energy to. Yeah. And that's totally fair. I completely understand that. Um, I'm I just think tired. Beauty... I don't want to get shit done. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. I know that mood. That's like that's like peak. I just want to lay in bed and watch, you know, TV mood. And I feel that. I was going to say, like, the thing about a bullet journal, though, is that it's analog so it'll it'll literally be the exact same when you go back to it so absolutely that's good like something that always bothered me with digital systems coming back to them was like i'd come back to things and i'd look at the today view and it would be like well here's everything i didn't check off the list for the last two weeks and i'm like this is overwhelming and i close it again and yeah it's probably going to be a little bit of overwhelm from the other side going back to it and having to do the migration Mm -hmm. but it's just going to be exactly the same as I left it. And there really is value to that. There really is. My pet peeve for digital systems was like OmniFocus has that weekly review for every project. And when you're like us and you have, um, I think at one point it was in the triple digits of projects and you're supposed to review every single one of those every week and you miss a week. That was devastating. Like, having to go back and review all 300 on one day. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to. And then the next week you'd have to review all 300. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. terrible. So I also agree that I like, I like analog systems for this because, you know, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I will just avoid certain sections of my journal, my bullet journal. Like I just won't go looking in the future log section. Cause I'm like, there is nothing coming up this month, maybe a birthday. And if I didn't write that down, like, I'm sorry. I'll tell you later. Like, <laughs> I'll figure it out. But like, you know what I mean? I'll avoid the I'll, I'll avoid the future planning or the big lists of things I want to eventually make an app for or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's I, interesting. I think there's a lot of like energy in productivity spaces around like the system is the be all and end all. And I just, I feel like it's important sometimes to push back on that a little bit. Just like, it's okay sometimes to take a step back from the system and to just like exist for a while. And like, maybe I'd have a little bit more on top of things or be a little bit more ready for I'm moving the move coming up. If I were more actively engaged with my systems right now, but like I'm not perfect and I'm okay with not being perfect. And I don't want to give the impression on the show that I always do the bullet journal exactly the way I'm talking about it all of the time. So I just think it's important for me to mention when I'm not. Um, I think that's great. Uh, I wouldn't want to be perfect anyway. That sounds boring. Doesn't it? Can you imagine if everything got done on time? Oh my god. (laughs) 
on time in air quotes, I should say. Like that would just like, there's no stress there. <laughs> I'm only being a little sarcastic. <laughs> oh, How do you goodness. feel the relief of getting something done at the last second if you don't put it off to the last second in the first place? I don't know. I don't understand people who live like this. Um, oh, that reminds me. I think I already told you this, but we should tell our listeners. The other day I realized that I had a I had a task at work that they gave me um, 56 hours to work on. It was two 28-hour tasks. I think I've done that math right. Anyway, I procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated and then did it in six hours on the day it was due. <laughs> and I was like, why am I like this? But also, it's a superpower, so it's fine. <laughs> I don't understand it. It's like, I'm the same way. Like, if I have work tasks, it's like, it will take me three days to get something done, but I will only spend one of those days doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, okay, uh, Jessica from How to ADHD, and look, I got her name right this time after listening back to our episode, and I called her Jennifer three times in a row. So sorry. <laughs> um... Jessica has a video about the wall of awful and how for certain ADHD brains, if it looks like you're not doing something, you're actually just like gearing up to do it. And I sometimes feel like those six days where I'm not doing technically doing anything are just me climbing the wall. Yeah. And then that seventh day I get over. And like, honestly, there's so many things to do, especially for both of us as tech workers and that are entirely in our heads of just turning the problem over and fitting it into the larger context of the software we're working on. That are just, there isn't a material or a measurable outcome from that. Yeah. Until we go and actually make the change with the right understanding to make the change that needs to be made to do the thing we're trying to do in the first place. Exactly. And one of the things that bugs me about this type of knowledge work is that it can feel like you're not making progress, even if your brain is teasing out all the strands, you know, of the knot that you're working through. And it makes me feel guilty sometimes if I'm just like sitting there and I'm doodling and I'm, I am aware that I'm not doing my job because I'm not typing on the computer. But really my brain is noodling on, I wonder if I actually need this function that's called, um, I don't know, it had a name, and then there was another one right below it that was called the same thing, except it had new tacked onto the end. And I was like, why didn't you just edit the old function? <laughs> like, you know? Um, so I could be noodling on that for two days, trying to figure out what to do there, but not making any actual change. And I feel incredible guilt over that, and it's just, I shouldn't. Um, but, you know, brains. Yep. So, yeah. I don't remember how we got there. That's okay. I remember how you got to your garden. Oh, yeah. Just out the back door. (laughs) Um, But first, before we go there, we have a a little bit of follow-up. First, one of our friends uh, got really mad at us that we kept calling cilantro cilantro because he is from the UK and was insistent that we were wrong because it's called coriander. (laughs) And And he is uh, entirely wrong in his correction because the seed of the plant is called coriander. So, yeah, we're, we're planting coriander and getting cilantro out of it. And maybe coriander, I don't know. Maybe you use it for your spices if you want. Uh, I'm just going to buy that from the store because grinding up a bunch of uh, seeds sounds not fun. Really? I always grind my coriander fresh from seed. I 
Well, first of all, I've never been able to grow cilantro enough to get it to like to get it to go to seed. So I don't get any coriander oh, I mean, in my garden. I buy whole seed coriander. Like, like I buy the like, seeds whole because they keep longer. They keep the flavor longer. And then I just grind them in a mortar and pestle for the meal. Oh, okay. See, I've never thought to do that because we go through coriander so fast. Like I at all times have three jars, two unopened in our <laughs> in our pantry. And then we go through about one, like one every two weeks. It's wild. Maybe I should bulk buy coriander. Because what I do is typically for like tacos or any other sort of spice mix is I'll grab a bunch of whole seed coriander and a whole bunch of whole seed cumin and a pinch of uh, coarse salt into the mortar and pestle. I'll just make a taco seasoning right in there and just grind it all up in one go. And it works out super well. Anyways, I will grant the Brits this. It is a little weird us that we don't call the seed and the plant the same thing. So I'll grant them that. But as an American, I feel the need to defend it. Yes, it is weird. And now you have me going to etymology online. Just real quick, because I need to know why we call it that. <laughs> etymology. I've always assumed one came from Spanish and the other is like a Germanic root, but I have no evidence to back that claim up. I will let you know in a second. This is a great website. Yep. <laughs> they come from the same root word. All right, cilantro, a noun. Alternate, alternative name for coriander from 1907. Uh, the Spanish word cilantro, variant of culantro, variant uh, or from Latin coriandrum. I don't know how they got culantro from coriandrum, but interesting. Same root word. This is, okay, this gets me every time as well. Same thing happened with aubergine and eggplant. They literally mean the same thing. Yep. Like, it's the color of the eggplant, y'all. <laughs> like, we get them both from the same root word. One of you just got it from French, and one of us got it from German, I think. Or it might have been directly from the Arabic. I'm not anyway. sure. I did read a book recently where a character named something aubergine because they didn't realize it meant eggplant and found that out later. Which was a wonderful moment. I love that. I love that. Um, oh, that reminds me of a story. We were in Scotland a bunch of years ago now. I don't remember what year it was. And my partner ordered an aubergine veggie burger, thinking it would be like a black beaten burger with like with eggplant on it. No, the entire burger was a slice of aubergine. Honestly, that sounds delicious. It did sound delicious. It just wasn't what he was expecting. It wasn't very filling because it was just eggplant. And I was like... I mean, eggplant parm can be really filling. I, I feel like I could make a really filling eggplant burger. All right, you experiment and let me know. That reminds me, follow up. I will absolutely do that because now this sounds very exciting. This does sound very exciting. We've gotten far away from our original follow up, but this reminds me, Izzy, did you have a chance to watch Queen of Screams? No. This is the movie that Jessica from How to ADHD was in, and you said you were going to watch it because it's a horror movie, and I oh, couldn't. Oh my <laughs> I guess I should have written it down in my bullet journal. Which you're not looking at right now. Okay, we'll push that out to another time. <laughs> no worries. I'm sure someone will remind us in, like, six months. Um, <laughs> anyway, so our... Y'all, I'm so bad at remembering what we talk about on the show. It's okay. You know, it would probably help if, like, I made you do the show notes or something. Like, just once. Just because... Just <laughs> once. <laughs> That's how I remember what we talk about. I listen to it to write the show notes, and then I remember it forever. Because until I listen to the show, I'm like, I have no idea what we talked about. 
because I can't remember. It is surprisingly hard to, like, internalize what's been said while you're giving a performance on the show. Yes. Because that's what it is. It is, an, it, it is a performance. I'm going to remember I did that because messing up in a performance is what sticks with you. Brains. Anyway. Anyway. Back to the point. Our friend Ellen <laughs> sent in some follow-up about coriander or cilantro. Word of your choice. Um, her dad grew so much coriander one year that she ended up making a pesto from straight up cilantro and macadamia nuts, which sounds A, delicious, and B, she sent in a photo of one of the bunches and you can only see half of it and it looks like half a bushel. How do you grow that much cilantro? I'm so jealous. Ellen, P.S., can you send me some? (laughs) I have a bunch of cilantro coming in still and I am very tempted to try this. You should. I love like different flavors of pesto like the traditional one is what basil and um pine nuts right Mm -hmm. but you can do it with any nuts and any green it's i pretty often use pecans that's a good one here because they're um they're local to the area yeah and that's a good one walnuts too i've I've even heard of people trying peanut pesto, but that just sounds like it would get too close to peanut butter, and I'm just not here for it. Um, But the one I typically do, the one that I like to do, is actually uh, pine nut and parsley, and we put that on um, mashed potatoes and stuff. Delicious. People should just try it. (laughs) Oh, parsley just tastes like green to me. That's that's fair. For me, it's like uh, it's got a little bit of a bitter bitter flavor. So when you put it on top of like creamy mashed potatoes, oh my gosh, my mouth just filled with saliva again. Why do I do this to myself? I make myself hungry for the show every single time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, if uh, any of you grow enough coriander that you could send some my way, please do because none of mine is growing. Izzy, I've got no I've got no cilantro anymore yet. Still. Even though I planted all the seeds I had, like not a single one. Oh my goodness. I did the same thing this year because last year I sowed a bunch in seed starters and just none of them started. Yep. But this year I got lucky. That's, I guess. That's amazing. I really wish I could get lucky because like none of them came up. Neither did, I mean, well, let's put it this way. My garden is struggling because we got a lot of rain early in the, in the spring, like so for my growing season, we got a lot of rain in February and March. And we had a really, like, cool but not frosty spring, start of spring. And now that we're heading into summer, well, South Carolina summer, it's still spring, guys. Uh, we haven't had rain in weeks. Like, not a, not a soaking rain. And that is so weird for our area. Like, where I live is technically in a temperate rainforest and it hasn't rained in weeks. What does that tell you? Like, first of all, that's weird. Second of all, like my garden, unless I take the time to go water it myself every morning is not getting any water. And guess who doesn't water her garden every morning? One for water conversation, conservation reasons. And two, because I'm lazy. So I installed, um, objectively harder an irrigation system (laughs) to water all my beds for me and to save water and I finished that today and I'm really excited about it but uh yeah droughts and so you could say 
that we're having a water conversation about a convert convert. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make- Let me restart that because that's going to be- <laughs> So you could say that we're having a water conversation about a conversion for water conservation. Oh, God. Um, tongue twister. Yes. I'm just going to say yes because I can't say that. We are having a water conversation. And I'm very sad because I think this area of the country might be heading into a little bit of a desertification issue. I think that's safer to say than a lot of people would care to admit. Yeah. Like, so many areas on the planet where people have cleared forests and have cleared tree cover get less rain than they did historically. And it's something that we're just really starting to understand, like the scientific reasons for it, of which there are a whole bunch of really interesting theories about different kinds of trees releasing um, molecules that end up being nucleation sites to form rain clouds to just like the difference in heat and pressure that happens between where you have um, tree cover versus uh, clear cut and how that like influences moist air um, coming in off of the coast. But yeah, no areas like I think last episode we talked about uh, the Fertile Crescent a little bit and how that has been so severely desertified by human activity but the Sahara Desert as well. Um, California is a huge example of it. The entire American Southwest. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good example. I mean, that's a very good point. And it's basically what's happening down here. Like, trees are being clear-cut to put up houses, um, which we've already talked about at least once on here. And with climate change, like, our weather extremes are getting more extreme, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we went from the totally normal extreme of, um, oh gosh, at one point there was a, there was a meme going around South Carolina. It was like the joke from, um, oh, what is the movie? Forrest Gump, where he's in, oh shoot, is he in Vietnam or Taiwan? Uh, I think he's in Vietnam. Vietnam. Okay. And he said, one day it started raining and it didn't stop for six months. That is usually what South Carolina is like. Like, it starts to rain in the fall, and then it doesn't stop raining until, like, June or July. That didn't happen this year. We didn't get any rain in the fall. We didn't get... I mean, we got snow at one point. Wow. But we didn't get a lot of rain. Like, um, I think our weather person was talking about it. Like, we're already an inch behind for the year. Like, or actually not even for the year, for the month. We normally get, like, an inch, inch and a half of rain per month, and we're... Halfway through the month, and we're an inch behind normal. And it's like, this is getting kind of scary. But, like, so a thing that I was going to do anyway became the irrigation system. I should make that clear. Became more urgent when I realized, like, I wasn't watering my garden, but also the garden wasn't getting any residual water. Like, my lettuce is still there. My spinach is still there. And it's surviving, but it's starting to bolt because it's getting too hot and it's not getting enough water to help fight it. I've got a bunch of peas, mm-hmm. like pea stalks, but no pea flowers because it doesn't, they don't have enough energy to make flowers. Like a lot of stuff is happening, but it's not getting to the point where I can get tomatoes or I can get cilantro or my parsley will grow or whatever I need. Like, and it's just very scary. It's just very scary. Yeah. And like you're in an area where you should be able to select 
plants that you basically don't need to water. Yeah. And it's absurd that you're in a climate situation where that has so radically changed. Yeah, it's, it's, let's put it this way. I have started to put almost all native plants in my front garden and some of them are starting to suffer. And it's like, if the native plants are suffering under these conditions, that means something's wrong. Like, I shouldn't have to go out and water the blueberry bushes or whatever are out front because there's, they're built to live here. Like, I picked local varieties. They're built for here, and they're not, they're not surviving. And it's very scary. And one thing about desertification that I think people don't – they don't really learn because they don't take – environmental science courses, um, is that it often happens like this. Like a very rainy part of the world will stop getting rain, will go into a drought, and what'll happen is the plants will die off and then we'll get our rain back and it'll take away the rich topsoil and then nothing can grow. And then the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. And it's until you get to the point where you're in a desert. And it's just so scary that that I can see the beginning stages of it happening when... Like, I know that climate change is a global thing, and I know that other people are seeing worse effects. It's just, like, maybe because I'm educated on this stuff, I'm seeing the small-scale effects, too? I don't know. Yeah, because, like, this is one of those things where it's almost a boiling the frog situation, where I think a lot of people just don't know to look for these small signs to see these things happening. So suddenly, like you know, 10 years down the line, when things have gotten so much worse, they're like, wow, when did this happen? It's like, the signs were here the whole time. This is what we were doing that caused it. We just turned a blind eye this whole time and have been for the last 60, 200 years. Yeah, it was like you were saying last time, like you, it strikes you how few bugs you see in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I live in a practically rural area and I don't see bugs. Like there are gnats flying around in my backyard, but like if I drive my car at night, I'm not hitting moths. I'm not hitting, I don't know, lightning bugs, whatever is flying around. I'm not hitting them because they're not flying around anymore. That's scary. How are the bats going to eat the birds? What's going on? Like, ugh. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I wonder if this is kind of like an ignorance is bliss situation, but then ignorance would lead to our demise. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I um, wonder those kinds of things all the yeah. time. Yeah. But on a lighter note, how was the process of installing an irrigation system? It was very interesting. Um, I'll get into this a little bit later, but I spent basically a full eight-hour workday, like, from about 8 a.m., took a break for lunch to 5 p.m., even in our hot climate, just digging and mapping out areas that needed to be... um, needed to be watered and like figuring out the like engineering behind it. And it was honestly like one of the best puzzles I've ever done in my life. Um, I didn't finish it all that first day because as is the law of the universe, I had to go back to the hardware store four times to finish one project. Of course. Of yeah. course. No, you, you go to the hardware store and you get everything except for something that makes you need to go back. Yep, exactly. And then I bought I bought more than I needed the second time, so then I had to do more projects on top of it anyway. It it was totally worth it, though, because we are testing out our sprinkler system. I basically just, like, what's the word? Um, I basically just swapped out one of the sprinkler heads, like the rotating ones that you see in most suburban neighborhoods, for a, um, like, a retrofit kit that turned it into an irrigation line. And, yeah, I've got 
lines running all over my veggie beds. I've got lines going through a native um, plant patch that I've installed nearby my veggie beds to attract like um, to attract insects that control pests, to attract birds, all kinds of stuff. I've got like a bird bath going, and I've got one of the irrigation lines running up into the bird bath to fill it up. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah. It it was something that I realized like I wasn't filling it up often enough and now the sun is starting to evaporate the bowl in like three four hours so just gotta fill it up so the bird can take their bath and one of them got really mad that it was empty the other day it was a robin and he like oh. was like i want to ruffle my feathers in the water and he's like there's nothing here <laughs> you could just see him Poor baby. yeah he was like getting annoyed i was like I, feel, I always feel so bad when birds come to the theater when i haven't refilled yes. it and they just like they land there and they look at it and they look at the door and then they fly away so sad I'm just like oh yeah I'm like I know you're feeding your babies bugs and I'm so sorry that you're not getting any seed right now <laughs> like I know you'll find some but I wanted to make it easy on you <laughs> yeah do you have any automation or anything like that on your irrigation system or is it all manual um right now we do have uh we do have an irrigation control panel that i've set it up for now to come on um for 20 minutes every morning at 6 a.m before evaporation can start so the the water can seep in and at 20 minutes it should only um be sending out about i want to say like per emitter it's going to be like oh i'm trying to do math in my head um what's it I don't know. It's like two, it's like a third of a gallon. Um, that doesn't help our UK friends. Anyway, it's not a large amount of water, but what it'll do is it'll penetrate really deep into the soil and the root systems will grow down and hopefully the seeds will sprout. finally, like I don't even have a zucchini out yet. Like nothing has sprouted. So hopefully it can, it can help. And then, um, yeah, so it's supposed to come on every day at 6am. Um, we had to test a bunch because there are still some sprinklers set up on the same zone as our garden. So we had to make sure that they were, you know, set right. So we finally finished that today and tomorrow will be our first test run. We'll see how it goes and fingers crossed. Super exciting. Super exciting. Um, if it's wonky or if I want to get more control, I'm going to have to upgrade the control system. I'm not too happy about that because I can't find a single controller that will let me say, like, only do this zone on all the days. And then, you know, maybe the front yard can get some water every week, you know, instead of every day. Because mm. grass doesn't need water every day, right? See, I have a bad habit <laughs> with these kinds of things where instead of looking at controllers, I start looking at relays and, <laughs> like, electronically controlled valves and like microprocessors and <laughs> as a result i have never installed an irrigation system i will say like if you're not going to go that route if you're going to go the easier route there are simple options you can pick up that's just like just your regular big box store um i go to the orange one because it's the closest you know the one i'm talking about uh oh yeah. dome hippo as our friend ben called it <sighs> on accident once and is now forever going to be dome hippo to me <laughs> It's just too funny. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it was relatively cheap. It was relatively easy to retrofit an existing system. But if you are going to have to install in a completely new system, I would definitely go your way. Like I want as much control over how much water is being put out in whatever zone. Yeah. Possible. Timers are great, but if it's going to rain, I don't want to run the irrigation and use that water. Exactly. And so ours does have a way to turn it off for like a rain day without losing the schedule. 
So I'm just going to have to get very religious about checking the weather before I go to bed. Because 6 a.m. is when I wake up. And if it's raining at 6 a.m., I'm not going to be sprinting down to the garage to turn it off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Indeed. It's just not going to happen. Like, I can say that I will do that, but it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I fully believe yep. you. But, Izzy, how is your garden going? Um, I'm assuming you're having better luck with your tomatoes. Yeah, now that I knew it was spider mites and was able to wash them off the plant, it is recovering nicely. And we'll see how many tomatoes I get overall. But I have one nice one coming in that's just about ready to pick that I'm super excited about. What are you going to make with it? Because I always like to make a tomato sandwich with the first big tomato of the season. It will almost certainly go on to burgers. Burgers? Yum. That's a good one. That's a good one. I usually go with like a like toast, mayo, tomato salt and pepper and that's it it's pretty good that's a nice way to really like enjoy the flavor of a good tomato and there are such good tomatoes yes have you seen those ones that are like purple um they're called cherokee purples i think and they're an yep they're an heritage breed i tried to grow some last year and wasn't able to but um I'm certainly going to try again when I'm up in New York. Oh, yeah. You're moving soon. That's going to be exciting. Hopefully the season up there is long enough you can get some good tomatoes. I should be able to. I just know that. No, with tomatoes with the two of us, what almost always happens is we get a few slices to go on whatever we're doing. And then we just, like, put the rest into, like, medium-sized cubes. And we just eat them as the side dish with that that's a good option. It's great. I found out... Yay tomatoes. Yay tomatoes. I found out last year that you can freeze tomatoes straight off the vine and then pop them into a, a pan to make sauce as if they were fresh. Ew. I'm going to have to try that. I know. I just remembered while you were talking about this, like how you eat your tomatoes, that I have a bag in the fridge and I haven't made a sauce out of them. What am I doing? Or bag in the freezer, I should say. They're not in the fridge. <laughs> they would be so rotten. Oh. Also, don't put your tomatoes in the fridge, people. It makes them mealy. Don't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's good. And you've still got a lot of coriander cilantro coming in. That's awesome. I do. We're using it. It's delicious. What did... And mint and oregano and rosemary. Ooh, yum. Mm. Now I really want like a minty lemonade. Have you ever tried that? It's so good. Yes, and now I want one too. Sorry. This is your fault. It's totally my fault and also... Except it's also my fault. Yeah. (laughs) I am incredibly thirsty now, and yeah, I'm probably going to go downstairs and I'm going to have lemonade after this. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That's fun. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's how the irrigation system is going, and I may or may not do one in the front yard as well for the native plants. I'm going to see how they deal with the drought um, and might just, you know, the ones that are suffering might just hand water them for a little bit. You know, I've got a cute little watering can. I can go give them some give them some love um but yeah uh yeah well last week after our conversation about jobs we got a little bit of follow-up asking if we had heard the good word about severance which is a tv show and i've heard so many good things about it and i haven't watched it yet so please don't spoil it for me but i am probably going to watch it at some point because it sounds really excellent yeah i'm in the same boat um my friend is currently doing a rewatch with her roommate or her housemate, and I have to avoid any conversation she has about it because I'm like, ah, I've heard that I can't, I've heard that I can't listen to a single spoiler. So 
No spoilers, people, but we have heard the good word. The only reason that this follow-up came in was because us talking about jobs and stuff, like, reminded the person about, like, promotions. And that's all I know. It's something about jobs. That's that's what I've got. Uh, I think you, like, forget that you were at the job when you go home is the thing. But, like, that's all I know about the show. So. This sounds fun. Maybe I can convince my partner to watch it tonight. We have mostly just been re-watching Lord of the Rings. That's a good choice to rewatch. We've been working our way through The Office. The Office is so great. We talked about The Office last time. We talked about the episode where Creed um, bites into an onion. No, it was a potato. Yes. The potato, yes. Oh, goodness. I knew somebody who used to eat onions like they were apples. Gross. Why? <laughs> Don't do that. No. I'm pretty sure just for that reaction. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> I don't like it. Goodness. Okay. Uh, that kind of leads into our next topic where um, we kind of talked about it last time as well, I think, um, when we were talking about job stuff. But the difference between a job, a career, and a calling. Izzy, do you have opinions on this? So I'm curious what those words mean to you or how you would define them. So for me, I think like a job would be something you, you don't really care about, but you just go to get paid right? Like you need to survive. So you work a job, right? Career makes it feel like to me that it's one step up from a job and you're ambitious in that career, but don't really bring it home. Like it's not your whole self versus a calling, which is again, one step up. And it's like, you were made to do this. Like this is your purpose in life. And I recently discovered, well, it's not recent. I recently rediscovered that I really don't want a job or a career. Like, I I just don't. Yeah. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, a, a huge part of this for me is really informed by um, an idea called social validation. Okay. Or in other words, how does society communicate to somebody who has done work for society that the work they have done is valuable to society, to the rest of the people they're around? Mm-hmm. And under capitalism, that is a paycheck that is loosely related to whatever you've actually done, signed by a person who probably didn't watch you do it, and delivered two weeks later. Yep. And you never, like, see the people using what you've made or so many of these things. So, like, under capitalism, like, there's almost always going to be this inherent disconnect between what you do and society showing any evidence of what you're doing having value. And, like, I think what's tough for me about these conversations is often it puts the work itself in isolation as the focus. Mm -hmm. And, like, for me, so much of a bigger part of it is that the work matters, but only to a degree. And it's much more about the people who the work affects and why I'm doing it and how the work is like happening in the context of the people it matters to. And so like doing work with political organizing or mutual aid here in the city where I'm like going out of my way to do menial labor, like whether it's printing documents or whether it's like, bringing supplies to camps or whether it's like 
having conversations with strangers on the street, which I'll have you know is not exactly the most fun thing to do. (laughs) No, it doesn't sound like it. And it's not paid at all. But the value from that is inherent to, like, the context that it's in and how I see that worth through the organizations who I do it in. And so, like, calling for me has a lot to do with that context. Yeah, it it's for me it's like linked to the meaning behind the work. Like a career's meaning is to get more advanced in the career. And for me that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Like it's not Exactly. It yeah, doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. And a job you just you like you're like I said you're just working it to get paid. And mm-hmm. th- we've got all of these like um we've got all of these idioms and expressions especially in america like you know work to live not live to work and you know all these things and it's like i think a lot of these speak to the divide between these three types of like i I keep saying work because i don't know what else to call it but it's like i have basically decided that i don't want to work a job i don't want to just work for a paycheck because it bores me out of my mind to just not care you know what I mean? Like, I, I have to care. But also, I have to care beyond the career. Like, I don't have aspirations of being the world's best software developer or an AI researcher or whatever. Like, those are not my goals. It's all about what I do with the skills I have. And I just feel like that's where it becomes a calling. It's not yeah. how good you are. It's what good you're doing. For me, at least. Absolutely. And like one of the things that kills me about capitalism is that capitalism reduces all of that just to a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And that is just fundamentally alienating. Like even if you are doing something that is incredibly valuable to society, valuable here very specifically, meaning like to people and not in terms of profit, like it still gets filtered down and communicated to you the same way as if you were writing ads for the internet to be shown at the front of YouTube videos, which, like, isn't a bad thing to be doing, to be clear, but probably doesn't have a whole lot of social impact. Except making people talk about the product that you're sporting. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. It's, like, it just, it... I'm not saying everybody needs to have a calling, and I'm not deriding people who want to have a career, who feel that they want to be good at one... at at the thing that they're Mm -hmm. doing. Like, that is good. If you have that, hang on to it. But I just can't. (laughs) I realized the other day that I don't care to learn anything new about software development. Like, I'll learn enough to do my job to get paid. Because it's a job. It's not a career, right? I'll learn enough to just coast. But I don't go out of my way to read, like, software development journals. Do those even exist? Like, I just don't do the research. But here I am over here, like, reading book upon book about botany and biology and, you know, environmental science, or I've got an entire bookshelf over in the corner behind me on um, ancient weaving techniques about lace making when, when you do like the cylindrical bobbins, like really cool stuff. But right now I don't have, I don't have a career in that. You know what I mean? Like I don't, there's no way to make money off those ideas for me. Um, And I, brought this up last time, there is some evidence that we can turn a job into a career and a career into a calling if we work to job craft, which is like you try to make your job fit your ideals rather than the other way around because no job is perfect. 
which is true, factually true, and you, you can do some things. But if you're fundamentally, like, not in it, I don't know that that can do anything for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, at some point, if you're employed by a company, you are going to be working to progress that company's goals. And those goals have to align at some level with yours, or it it isn't really a calling. (laughs) Yeah, it gets messy real fast in there. Like, And that's not to say that you can you can't or even shouldn't work at a company that doesn't have goals that align with yours, but like just be aware you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, at least like if I were working in a different division at my current company, I might be happier. But right now all of my work is like building internal tools for people to make the company more money. It's like, that's not really fulfilling for me. It doesn't do any of the things that I care about. And it doesn't really do any of the things that the people I'm making it for care about. It's just a convenient tool for them to do the things that they might actually care about. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm so far removed from the value. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. And I had like a, I want to say like a um, midlife crisis, but I'm nowhere near my midlife. um, And I think I'm past quarter life at this point. So I don't know what to call it. Uh, anyway, I had a small crisis (laughs) the other day when I realized this about myself and I've just been thinking about this topic and I did some like long-term planning, which is where, you know, which is where I'm at. Like I'm doing all my long-term planning, but not really looking at my day to day to try and get to my calling, which is going to be an amalgam of a lot of stuff. Like there's no way I could ever just do one thing. Right. I know that about myself. But I've got some things that stick. And one of the things that hit home for me is that day that I spent in the garden for eight hours doing physical labor. Not only did I spend eight hours in the garden, I also spent three hours moving furniture. And uh, one of the other activities in there was helping my elderly neighbor pull some green briar out of her trees. Like, literally wrestling trees. Like, I am still sore levels of physically exhausted. But at the end of that 11-hour day, I sat down at my desk just to, like, do something. And my my first thought out of my brain as I sat down at my desk was, I can't wait to, to edit my book. And it's like, after an eight-hour day at a job where I literally sit in the chair I'm sitting in now, and I barely move, and I type on my computer, and I go down and get snacks, I can't wait to edit is not a thought that would ever exit my brain. Because I would be too tired, too unenergized to even think that. Like, I'm usually collapsed on the couch. And it just, like, hammered home that if you're doing something that you enjoy, you're not really losing energy in the same way. Yeah. And even if it's something you don't enjoy, like, if it's something that, like, you... Like, there's this intrinsic or almost a guttural feeling of like value of doing something when you can see those results in front of you and when you can see the impact that what it has had and why it was worth doing this is just energizing in and of itself yeah exactly like um i can think of i had a what can only be termed as a, a job during university where i was an admin for one of the school departments and that department was the student students with disabilities center like 
So every time I helped a student fill out a piece of paperwork, it was evidently clear that I was helping them get something they needed from the school. And like admin work can be incredibly boring, but having a student thank you like profusely because you helped them get permission from their professor to be able to have like double time on a test because they, you know, they just take longer at tests. Like, yeah, it, there's nothing better than someone being like, thank you. This is really helpful. And it's like, no one there says is that. There's <laughs> so much stuff that I would put off forever and then hate doing at work that if a friend asked me to help with them, I would be like, yeah, I'll drop everything and do it right now. And I would enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I like me. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I was just thinking like I spent, uh, I think I spent like eight hours one day, like a couple months ago, helping to debug like an, a bot for discord for dungeons and dragons just because i had enough knowledge to do it like i don't care about code but it's like we were trying to figure out how to do a thing with it and i was one of the people who could so i was like all right i'll dive in and i spent eight hours looking at the code i figured it out it's like i can't sit for eight hours and focus on my work are you kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh oh goodness yeah and of course, like, it doesn't help that neither of us were built to focus for on anything for eight hours straight. Yeah, like, unless... Um, at least not repeatably. Yeah, unless it's, like, a hyperfixation and we're stuck down the deep work rabbit hole. Um, yeah. God, which I'm going to pivot us to my latest hyperfixation. Oh, tell me. Because... Yes. Okay, yeah. So, uh, for the last few episodes, we've had a collectible card game corner, and it's time to go back there, because I have rediscovered Android Netrunner. I don't know what this is, Izzy. I don't. That's okay. Android <laughs> Netrunner is an asymmetric two-player collectible card game or living card game now um, because it doesn't have any random booster packs. You know exactly what cards you're getting, whatever you get, which is great as as a recovering Magic player who has spent far too much money on that game. <laughs> so in this game, one player is playing an evil mega corporation trying to advance agendas and like work with their assets and manipulate things in order to win the game with these agenda cards that are all in their deck. Okay. Meanwhile, the other player is playing the runner who is this like cyberpunk hacker in a virtual landscape who is trying to get into the corporation servers and steal their agendas from their deck and to destroy their assets and to just generally make their day worse. And so the corporation is protecting their servers with ice to try to get it um, to keep the runner out. And the runner is trying to get programs called icebreakers to get through that ice. But like everything in this game is something that the runner can hack. The corporation's hand, they can hack into that. The corporation's deck, they can hack into that. And it's this really cool back and forth. The corporation trying to protect their stuff and advance their agendas while the runner tries to get in and steal it. It's very cool. I have to say that this sounds like almost exactly dead center up your alley. Like literally like straight up it. <laughs> it would be hard to target a game more directly at me. <laughs> okay. So when you say asymmetric, you mean it's like you're fighting against each other, but in, t- in two different styles. Like one of you's obviously yeah, on the defense. You, the corporation has its own specific pool of cards and the rudder has their own completely different pool of cards. Okay. That's interesting. I I don't think I've ever heard of a card game like that before. I love this. Yeah, it's like, it shouldn't work. Like, you shouldn't be able to have two people sit down at the table to effectively play different games and have it work. Yeah. 
but it does. And it's balanced and it's really engaging because I, I think one of the coolest things about this game is that everything the corporation does is played face down. And so as the runner is sitting on the other side of the table, looking at the corporation has installed a card in a server and they've put a piece of ice in front of it. And you're like, I don't know what that ice is. And I don't know if the card it's protecting is even worth getting to. Oh. How am I going to deal with that? So it's like they could lay Are they down. Bluffing? Yeah, they could lay down decoys. Okay, and then obviously they could lay down traps. Oh, and like you have to figure out like, can I survive the trap if it is a trap? Yeah, like it's so cool, and like the flavor of this is so on point. Like, there's four corporations, and one of them is NBN, and they're like a giant news conglomerate and they control all of the like internet pipelines and everything. And so like their thing is that they're really good at tracking the runner back. So they give runners something called tags. And then they've got a whole bunch of cards that punish the runner if they've been tagged, if they've been caught and they can, so they specialize in like seeing where you were tracing you back and dealing with it as opposed to a corporation like Wayland who is um, like private security and financial stuff. And they're just going to send goons to your place to deal with you if the ice doesn't kill you in the first place. This is amazing. It's, it's like a bunch of world building. And so is it practically limited based on the fact that there's only like four corporations? Are there only like a certain number of runners? Like since there are no... Yeah, so there's four court factions and three runner factions, but in each of those, you have a whole bunch of different IDs that do different things. Okay. So, uh, for example, um, Rene Lou Arcmont is a French um, hacker who is genetically modified to have wolf features and is, like, really about destroying the corporation stuff. And he's an anarch, which is, like, the politically motivated runners of the world. Mm-hmm. Um Versus, like, the shaper runners who really just kind of want to run because they can. They want to see what they can make their cards do and make their programs do and how much they can manipulate it. So, like, Tau lets you, like, move the corporation's ice around on them. Ooh, okay. So you can, okay, you can mess with them that way. Oh, this is very interesting. So, and then the last faction is just the criminals who are just running for money. Like, yeah. make a run, get paid. That's why they do it. And they all have very different playstyles, and within that, you have a whole lot of different options about how you play. It's very cool. That's super interesting. Now, I have to ask, do you always play a runner, or do you swap with your partner? You swap. You swap. Okay. One of the things I love about it, like, it's a living card game. And so, this was a fantasy flight game for a while. They've stopped producing it, and different groups taken up producing it now. Um, but you don't have to worry about what cards you're getting, and that's just so great. So, like... I have a complete set of all of the cards in the game. So all of the deck building options are there for me if I want to take them. Oh, that's awesome. And right now I've only opened like the first two of the sets. So I've got like the starter set plus it's deck building pack. And I'm like playing with those and getting used to those card pools um, of the new stuff. And I'm very excited to get into the rest of these cards. That'll be so fun. Um, It sounds awesome. Now I have to ask, are you going to find another card game? For the next fortnight? I hope not. You hope not. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned. Like, I, I still play Magic, and I still play Legends of Runeterra, and both are good, but I am very much focused on Netrunner right now. Yeah. And I am... Because, like, the game sort of died in 2018 when Fantasy Flight stopped publishing it, and I thought that was going to be the end. Right. And for most games, it would have been. 
but Netrunner has made a total resurgence, and all of the new stuff is available for free to print and play if you want, or you can order the cards and get, like, nice-looking cards online, which are great, and the art is so good, and I'm just very excited by this one. That's super exciting. The um, Izzy just held up the, the, oh gosh, the French guy. I don't remember his name already. Lou. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's a very interesting art style. And I love that they have a way to play for free because a lot of the times I feel like, I feel like I could get further into a game if I had a way to try it first. And I feel like this is the perfect way to mm-hmm. do it. Um, because like if if you don't like it, you did you spent time on printing out a bunch of cards and that's it. Like, but if you do get into it, then they have like they have a customer base ready and waiting for them. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's so cool and it's so flavorful. And the group that's running the game now is doing a really good job of it. So that's exciting. If any of that sounded interested to you, go check them out. We'll have a link to that page in the show notes. That's my latest thing. All right, y'all, this has been Above the Mess. You can find us on the web at AboveTheMess.com or Above the Mess Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Myself, you can find at Stardust.fm. Maddie can be found at FlexPotential.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you all in two weeks. AKA a fortnight, not the game. <laughs>